Welcome to What Magnificence with Chase Thornock, where we help high-achieving executives and entrepreneurs find answers to their most vexing health problems through the power of what if. Now, here's your host, Chase. Welcome to What Magnificence. I'm Chase Thornock. What Magnificence is where we explore an evidence-based approach to your health and your healing. What Magnificence is where we help high-achieving leaders, executives, business owners, and people master their health so that they can have a meaningful life. What if there was an answer to your chronic condition? What if you had more power to control the direction of your health than you realize? Today's what if is exciting for me. Um, Today has been an amazing day for me. but I guess like anything that's amazing, it's come with its fair share of difficulty. Uh, so I'm really excited to share with you today um, some things that have been on my mind. Uh, and, and to start with, um, the what if is, what if you have little guardians inside of you? What if you have little pieces, little parts of you that have done a tremendous job, not only protecting you, but also... Um, allowing you to interact with the world? What if those little parts of self have done an an incredible job of taking some of the hurt and some of the trauma in your life, packaging them in a way that they are not damaging you from day to day and allowing you to interact with the outside world? And what if those little parts of self, in addition to all of those wonderful things, have also been keeping you from making progress? What if they have been keeping you doing the same things over and over again because they've worked up till this point? This is, this is parts. This is, this is called your parts. Uh, parts work. I guess it's a fitting name, uh, <laughs> however nondescript. Um, but parts work acknowledges and addresses the, conf- the conflicting agendas inside of yourself that are basically gridlocking you and keeping you from making some progress. So the best ways that I've come to think of these parts are actually, um, there's a couple Disney movies, recent Disney movies that I think have done a pretty tremendous job. And as I've learned more about these movies, I've, I've learned that they did their research, right? They did a lot of, a lot of, um, research into these different theories and into psychology to understand how our minds and our bodies work. And then did a beautiful job, I think, of portraying those in a appealing, um, in an appealing way. And the, the two movies that I'm talking about are Inside Out and the second one's Soul. And they each have different pieces of this that I think are really interesting. So on Inside Out, I think it gives a great example of what parts are. <laughs> so if you haven't seen this movie, um, basically uh, it delves into the mind of this little girl and also the parents and then has these different parts of herself Um, things like joy, things like sadness, things like anger. And these are individual characters that it describes them as being in the control room of her mind to help her make decisions, right? And then they go on these adventures. Um, But it does a really interesting job at points throughout the movie of seeing where there is conflicting roles that these parts of her have. Uh, For example, a, a major plot in this movie is that uh, she she mainly wants to be governed by joy. Joy is is the biggest part of herself that she feels like honestly is the is the best way to interact with the world around her. Um, but then she has this part of self 
called sadness and sadness has this role where um she's she's a lovable character but everything she touches all the all these core memories which they depict as these colored balls um all these core memories that sadness touches she turns them blue right and i believe the little girl's name's riley but as riley starts to mature and get into an adolescent stage um sadness is having more of a role in her core memories uh and it's initially at the beginning of the movie right this is a disaster this is a big problem because she should have joy right she's she should be happy um and there's even a narrative in there where the mom says you know your father has to move for work we all have to move for work and so you've been such a such a light in our lives and we can continue to do that for him can't we we continue to be we can continue to be daddy's little happy girl right and so as she starts to struggle with these things it shows these characters in her mind and sadness touching these core memories and making them sad and joy having this problem of not knowing how to fix this right not knowing how to return these memories to a joyful memory um, that she had when she was a child and i i firmly believe and i've seen this in myself i firmly believe that we all have those parts um, and, and we know them, right? We've seen them. And at times we're embarrassed by them, right? Um, there are certainly parts of self that are more culturally permissible than other parts of self. And because they're culturally permissible, it changes depending on where you are in the world. Um, but typically in America, uh, the most, the most acceptable parts of self are, I would say happiness, right? Um, I would say anger is an acceptable part of self when it comes to business, uh, which was something that I didn't really quite understand for a long time. Um, but I'd be having discussions and negotiations and, and even having them with my spouse. And she'd ask me, are you angry? And I was like, no, I'm not angry. I'm just doing business. <laughs> right? Um, and then in different parts of the world, it's, it's more appropriate to be stoic, right? Uh, more, more of a neutral uh, kind of affect that we're portraying to the world so anyway these are these are parts of self and i think inside out does an interesting job of portraying those now in the movie soul the main part of soul that i want to talk about is um basically there are these little beings that are waiting to gain a body and come to earth and um one of these little beings is scared doesn't want to come uh, and part of the thing is that they're not able to find their purpose well, as the movie goes on, eventually this this little this little person um, ends up being um, ends up uncovering a part of themselves that I'm going to call their exile, right? And that piece of us is um, are, are the really sensitive parts. They're the vulnerable parts. They are the traumatic parts uh, that kind of have gone unaddressed. And the point being, she transforms into this into this monster for lack of a better world word big and dark purple right and like arms and just tentacles kind of an idea and the main character in the film can't interact with her can't reach her when she's in this state right with this 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 piece and we're going to talk about both well, well we'll talk about the whole theory but i want you to hold that image in your mind right of this little innocent person 
who then becomes overcome with this large, grotesque, dark, disconnected thing. Parts work was introduced in Internal Family Systems Therapy by Richard Swartz in um, 1997 and basically compiles three parts. And we've, we've touched on all of them, frankly. But the first, like we mentioned, was exiles. Now, these are the younger parts of ourself that hold emotions, they hold vulnerabilities, they hold needs, and they hold the memories and trauma, usually from childhood, that went unaddressed. The second parts of self are managers. And, and these are groups, right? There, there are lots of different exiles. There's a lots of different managers. But managers are the parts of self that we interact with the world. Um, and they can be healthy or they can be unhealthy. These, these are the ones that keep people going. And so examples of these include intellectual managers, perfectionistic managers, social managers, um, fawning managers. And what I mean by that is uh, uh, really like, like people-pleasing, maybe, right? People-pleasing manager. Going, uh, putting our own needs to the side and, and trying to diagnose what other people want and giving it to them, right? Fawning. Um, and then the, the last group is firefighters. And these are managers, but they're extreme managers. They are more associated with fight or flight kind of situations. And in my mind, the firefighters come out when, well, the, ma the manager's role is to help, help us interact with the world and help to keep the world from getting too close to our exiles, getting too close to our vulnerabilities, right? And so we put up these facades, and they're a true part of ourselves, uh, that's for sure, but, but we put these things up to kind of block and protect the exiles. Well, when the world or, or people around us start getting really close to those exiles, that's when the firefighters activate. And these are things like anger, extreme anger. Um, these are things like addiction, uh, we, we use the term, we also like to use the term buffering in our house. Those are things maybe less, less extreme than addiction, although they go along the same path. Buffering is um, where you, you do an activity to try to keep from feeling those exiles, right? So good examples of this for me <laughs> would be like reading the news, playing a game on my phone, checking my email, right? These work-related tasks. And, you know, I, I checked the news three minutes ago. It's not going to change in those three minutes. I'm just looking for something to either fill a void that I'm feeling, right? Or to not feel an uncomfortable emotion that's coming up in me. Um, and another firefighter is dissociation. Uh, and, then, and then finally, I would say another uh, more extreme firefighters, self-destruction. And again, the goal of these firefighters is all just to keep those exiles from being hit, from being exposed to the world. And self-destruction is a form of that. Um, we would rather, in some cases, self-destruct than let the world see our most vulnerable parts. So I want to tell you kind of a story from this morning. Um, this morning, as my wife and I were getting ready and we were getting the boys ready, um, we were talking about um, the, a specific uh, kind of real estate transaction that we were working on that fell through. And there was, there was uncomfortable feelings around it, 
um, there was a little bit of disappointment going on. Um, And I was initially feeling like I had let her down in in that transaction. Um, You know, I, I felt responsible for her disappointment, I guess maybe is a better way of saying it. And uh, through the work that we've done and the work that I'm still doing, I was fortunate enough, and she's she's incredible. She's just a great person. Um, if you if she's got, you should go see Intentional House. That's her her business where she's a she's a certified life coach, and she applies that to people's homes in amazing ways to help them strengthen their relationships. But she she slowed things down a little bit for me, which was helpful. And we began to talk, and as as we talked, initially all of the the firefighters came out. Right, um, there were parts of exile that were being exposed. But when it's happening, you don't know what those exiles are. More often than not, what happens is that other people begin to observe that your behavior has shifted before you even can tell that it's shifted yourself, right? And that, my friends, is awareness. And awareness is incredibly difficult because you generally have a, an expression of hormones when there's a fight or flight response. The frontal lobe starts to shut down entirely and you just start to act in instinct, right? But it's also doubly tricky because, as all of us with, you know, significant others know, if you approach your significant other by saying something like, why are you so grumpy, right? Or the other way around, that typically does not appease the firefighters. It tends to enrage the firefighters more, right? Uh, So in a very calm way and kind way, we started to kind of talk about what was going on, right? And interestingly enough... um, we arrived at a few conditioned triggers in me um, that I was not aware of. Um, but it happens as we've looked back over my life, it's, it's a pattern, right? And some of those triggers, interestingly enough, revolve around winter. Uh, and we just had kind of our first major snowfall of the year. And there was a, there was a physiological response that was happening inside of me. Um, with that snowfall. In addition, it's around the holidays. Uh, So we are seeing family more, which is wonderful. But family is, is the very definition of conditioning, right? Uh, And and I think everybody can see this. It's so fascinating when all our families get together, and you can be an entirely different person away from your family. And then when you go back to those family gatherings, everyone feels their roles again, right? And sometimes endearingly and sometimes maddeningly, right? But but the youngest sibling is going to act like the youngest sibling. The clown in the family is going to act like the clown in the family, even if they're the most serious person outside of the family or don't consider themselves funny. For some reason, they fill that role in the family. And then you add upon it all of these awesome traditions uh, that happen around the holidays, and it's just more reinforcing at a very base level. I think of Pavlov and his dogs, right, where he rang that bell before he gave them food and they salivated. The same stuff's happening around the holidays. It's the sights, it's the sounds, it's the smells, right? All of these inputs, sensory inputs, have conditioned you basically from when you were born to have a certain type of behavior, some of them intended and some of them unintended. And so those things come up for me and my 
my dear mother, um, who passed away when I was 18, she died of uh, systemic scleroderma, which is a an autoimmune condition, and it is it is really a horrific disease. Um, she was a wonderful person, and I'm I, I'm grateful that she was in my life. And Christmas was a big time for her. Uh, it would be interesting if I could ask her now if if she thought that was the case. But from my from my perspective, it was a big deal. It was kind of her Super Bowl. I remember those rubber totes that you store, you know, those storage totes that you have. And I I swear, and again, I may be exaggerating because I was little, but I swear there were 50 of them just full of Christmas decorations. And she loved it. She loved to decorate. She loved the Christmas season and the Christmas spirit. And she wanted to turn on Christmas music as early as we would let her, right? If it was July, she'd do it. And I remember all of that. And I remember all the wonderful things. But I also remember some of the trauma that existed around that, right? Some of those feelings that I had, especially as she started to get ill around Christmas time. And I, I honestly think the holidays bring that up for a lot of people. Um, holidays are, are difficult. We're around our families. They can be beautiful. But usually it brings up a lot of hard memories. Um, and and it, honestly, it's not it's not terribly surprising. Although when it's happening to us, it's it's almost impossible for us to recognize that it's going on. So those triggers combined with my preference to have a strong intellectual manager create a little bit of a, of a storm for me where when I am triggered and not connecting with the people that I love in the way that I want to, my intellectual manager will find every reason why that is perfectly acceptable. Uh, and I, I don't think I'm alone that way. You may have experienced this as well, or you may, you know, love somebody who experiences this as well, right? But things like, well, I'm, I'm stressed about work, right? Or, well, it's the kid's fault because of A, B, and C. Or if only you would, right? We start to look outward and our intellectual manager will find a reason, right? Because its job is to protect those exiles. And by definition, protecting those exiles means not admitting they exist, so we have to find another reason. We have to find another another reason why our firefighters started to come out a little bit. Chances are, if you're here listening to this podcast, then you probably have a strong intellectual manager. And what's the problem with that? The problem with a strong intellectual manager is that, and any managers, frankly, is that if you want to make changes in your life without addressing those managers, you won't be able to because they are your conditioned response to the stimuli that you're receiving day in and day out. The patterns will continue. So that's why I wanted to, to talk on this topic today, um, because I want to talk more about the power of what if. So in continuing the story uh, with my wife, and we'll get to that, to the power of what if here in just one second, but in continuing that story, the most helpful pattern that I've found in dealing with our managers and our firefighters um, starts with a consistent pattern. And the first step is to identify the feelings and where they are in your body. Where are you feeling what you're feeling inside your body? And quite honestly, intellectual managers, at least mine, are resistant to this initially, right? But 
with practice, they'll give you they'll give you the space to go there, right? To just say, okay, where am I feeling what I'm feeling, right? And this morning I was feeling it right in my chest and I was feeling a little bit kind of just above my navel, okay? The second step is to start describing what those feel, what they feel like to yourself or to someone else. So what is its texture, right? This morning I would say its texture was kind of a matte, like a matte finish, kind of the matte kind of finish that if you touched it give you gives you that like scratching a chalkboard kind of feeling, that kind of a matte finish on it. And it was kind of a, like what color is it, right? Like a gray green color. Um, what shape it was? Um, kind of football shaped, I guess, for me? And does it have a smell, right? And for me, it was kind of this faint sulfur-like smell. And the point being is it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where it is or, or what shape or color or texture. Or any of that doesn't matter. What you're doing is you're starting to reconnect to your body, right? You're starting to become aware. And we like to think of awareness as mentally aware and that's certainly part of it but far more of us are missing the physically aware portion of things than we are the mentally aware we're, we're usually keenly very mentally aware so you become start to become more physically aware and starting to tune in to your body what that also does is that brings you present so many of us when we're in those situations start to deal with anxiety or depression right and i like to define anxiety as worry about the future and I like to define depression as um, regret about the past and or, and or dissociation, right? Disconnection. And um, those things both don't exist in the present, rarely, right? Usually we're, we're thinking about something else. So today I had a decent amount of anxiety, right? But more so I, would, I was feeling more depressed, Right, I, I, I was concerned about regret from things that had happened in the past. And so by feeling my feelings and starting to identify them, it brings my brain clawing and scratching all the way back to the present moment. What am I feeling right now? And then once your brain has a second to stop and to actually look at that and to feel and to be present, it can then say, oh, wait a minute, like this is uncomfortable, certainly right? But this is doable, right? I can survive this. Instead of going back to the conditioning from when we were a child and whatever that exile was, was being triggered, right? For me, that exile revolved around um, being vulnerable, right? Having a caregiver who was very ill and feeling like it was my responsibility to care for the emotional needs of my family, right? Maybe being concerned about the physical needs of my family and feeling responsible for those as a child, which is, it's not, it's unhealthy, right? As a child, you are not capable of those things. And then as an adult, hopefully you learn you're not responsible for those things either, the emotional well-being of other people. The next step and well, I, I guess I should point out as well that first, as you begin to see your body, then you will begin to see your brain. It doesn't go the other way around. Connect to your body first, then your brain will come into focus. 
So the next step of all of this is that you acknowledge the manager and or the firefighter. They have a role and it's an important role. I, I, I want to be careful not to villainize or vilify these managers and these firefighters. Same goes with our autonomic nervous systems. I don't want to vilify that sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight response, because it is critical and it is beautiful and it is an amazing part of our systems. Just because it's the part of the system that's usually been used the most often does not make it bad, right? I do want to make that very, very clear because these are parts of you. These are parts of self. And we don't want to continue down that dissociative path on the other side of things just because we've learned, oh, that there are things that are you know, maybe impeding our progress. So with the firefighters and the managers, acknowledge them. For me this morning, I had anger. I was feeling fear. And my managers that stepped in to try to help me were um, my intellectual manager and I want to say my disconnective manager, right? The part of me that just wants to shut it off, that just wants to bury my head in a pillow, right? I'll be okay if I can just lay down here for a minute, right? And dissociate from what I'm feeling inside of my body. So acknowledge them. I see you, intellectual manager. Now, now, for those of us, again, I'm talking for myself from an intellectual manager's part point of view. This gets to feel a little bit insane. I'm going to acknowledge that from the get-go, right? You're like, okay, I'm talking to different parts of my brain and I feel slightly schizophrenic for lack of a better term, right? So go with me for just a minute here, right? But we address that intellectual manager and we say, thank you, right? I see that you've stepped in and you've done a wonderful job helping me find reasons, right? Helping me find causation for what's going on. I'm really grateful for that. Thank you, right? Thank you to my disconnective manager. I appreciate that you're sending me those signals, right? To let me know that we're in danger. To let me know that it may be better to kind of disconnect from this, take a breath and come back to it later. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Now, if you're willing, intellectual manager, if you're willing, will you please step aside for a minute? I don't need you to leave. I don't need you to go anywhere. I just need you to step aside just for a minute. Can we do that? And then see what they say. Now, that's the other part, right? You're like, oh, okay, see what they say. But allow yourself the chance. Allow that a chance to see, right? Um, See what they say. Now, to me, this is where the power of what if comes in. And I know it works well for intellectual managers. I assume it works well for other managers as well, but this is the power of what if for an intellectual manager. The intellectual manager wants to sit there, go through the pros and cons, and make a decision based on evidence. Um, The problem is, is that the data that the intellectual manager is getting is all screwed up by the hormones that are in your body, basically. But it doesn't know that and it doesn't think that, right? So the power of what if comes in when you say to the intellectual manager, I, what if, what if, what if you could step to the side for just a second? What if there was something else for me to discover here that with all your well-intentioned protectionism has kept me from seeing? What if that's possible? 
And for me, what that's done is that's allowed me to consider some of these other things. Like we talked about earlier where it feels a little bit crazy to be doing this type of thing, right? That what if gives you permission from your intellectual manager while acknowledging it and thanking it gives it permission to step to the side and just observe because honestly, that's its role initially. So appeal to that. Let's do a what if, intellectual manager. What if I laid in the snow? What if I took a cold shower? What if I breathed? What if I just sat here and felt my feelings, right? Or even earlier on in this process, what if I tried to describe where I'm feeling? If I tried to describe what color it is, what shape it is, what smell it is, what size it is. What if I just tried that? Can I try that? And if your intellectual manager is hesitant at first to get out of the way, to step to the side, what if starts to unlock that potential? And quite honestly, that's what I'm asking you to do. That's what I'm begging you to do. (laughs) Because that's where you find it. Once you start to connect with your body in that way, that's where you start to really see your mind. That's where you really start to see the connection between the two. And that's where you really start to see healing. Because once that intellectual manager or whatever manager or firefighter is able to step out of the way, then you're able to bring that exile. Oh, speaking of emotion. You're able to bring that exile into light. And in my mind, I see that exile as a child, an infant even. Something vulnerable and precious um, and uh, in some ways weak, right? Um, But when you're able to bring that piece of self into the light and even just share it with yourself, beautiful things start to happen. Healing things start to happen, right? Your mind and your body are now in the same place. They're both present. They're both connected to one another. And that intellectual manager can step to the side and look at that exile and see it for what it is, right? Which at the end of the day, if, you, if you've seen that movie Soul, I think they do a beautiful depiction of it because that exile is not actually that monster. That monster that we see with the big purple angry thing, that's the firefighter, right? That's the manager. And when, when the main character is able to connect with that child, that melts away. And what's left is that person, that person full of potential. And that's the part of you that we want to discover. That's the part of you that you get to discover. That, my friends, is awareness, right? And when it comes to the light and you begin to see it and you begin to see those parts of yourself, then your adult brain has a chance then to see it as it is right? Which is, something terrible happened to me (laughs) a while ago. I see that. I can see that something terrible happened to me, right? But now I have an adult mind. I have an adult brain. I have adult tools. And I can now apply those tools to that exile. Not to make it go away, right? But to allow it to be, to exist. That's the whole paradox of the whole thing. It's not to make the exile go away. It's to let it be. It's to see it. 
So consider that what if for the week. What if there are little parts of you? What if they've done a beautiful job, right? What if they're stopping you from making progress mentally? What if they're stopping you from physically healing your body? That's been my journey. That's been my healing journey. What if it could be your healing journey too?